Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am the host, as always, been a minute, Harrison Starr, aka Boiler Hawk, um, and joined by Ben uh, this evening, Sunday evening. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, we're we're doing well. Keeping uh, keep it on as best we as best we can without uh, Hawkeye football. But uh, right now, our spirits are lifted by Hawkeye basketball. They sure are, Ben. They sure are. And I guess in, in interest of full disclosure, uh, we're recording this the, the Sunday night of after learning about Kobe's passing and really that tragic uh, helicopter crash earlier this uh, today uh, with his daughter, 13 years old, and uh, it sounded like a, another parent and another child. So really it just... It really is sad. It, it It's times like these that as much as anything, it makes you think about kind of where we're at. Uh, I think um, ultimately, to me, the thing that sticks out about it is just four people, five people gone far too soon. And I, I know there's going to be a lot of discussion about what's the right way for the NBA to move forward. But to me, I just, just think about those five, five lives lost. Um, far too soon. So, so Ben, I guess any, anything you you'd like to add? No, I mean, I, you, you, we have this, we share the same sentiments. It's tragic, really, really, really sad. Uh, I mean, he's forty-one years old. It's um, we've already seen some of the stuff that I think in the Spurs game where they uh, let the shot clock play out to start the game. I had thought they were canceling all the games today. Um. But you're just seeing all stuff out, out pouring on Twitter and everything, and it's pretty unbelievable, man. Just really, really, really uh, surreal. Yeah, uh, I've been on the road a lot of today, so really, I haven't been able to to catch a lot of it. But to me, it's really kind of sad because I remember it lines up with uh, our podcast shortly after the Minnesota game. I attended a funeral of someone who was in his early forties and it, it's just, it just freaking sucks. Uh, you know, I, Kobe's a complicated figure, I think. And in times like this, people forget those complications, but ultimately he was a father, he was a husband and he was doing, uh, the best he could. Uh, so, you know, just like the, the, the uncle that that I had who passed away also far too soon, just being the best parent, grandparent that he could be. Um, you know, I see a lot of those qualities in the way that that Kobe raised is raising his children and or was raising his children. It's just sad. It's sad. So um, worth mentioning because that that's the context with which we are podcasting, but, but I, I guess we, we should move on because like you said, uh, Ben, there, there are, um, other good things happening. 
um, earlier today, Megan Gustafson, her uh, jersey was uh, retired at Carver Hawkeye Arena for the women's team. It seems like they're probably not going to retire it on the men's side as well, right, Ben? No, I don't see that happening unless there's a push of some sort, you see. Yeah, I guess the the only way that we could expect the number 10 to be retired is if Joe Wieskamp goes out and uh, he gets uh, an all-time leading score at the University of Iowa to match Gustafson, but I think that that is probably unlikely. Um, I mean, is even in the top 30 right now? No, but but I think that that transition, uh, I was thinking about Luca Garza a little bit, Ben, and I was doing who, some what, math. Who isn't? Uh, it, exactly. Who isn't? Um, and it's remarkable. I have the stats up here. He is averaging a cool 23.2 points and 10.3 rat rebounds. I have to be honest, like to see a center in men's college basketball averaging that number of points to me is just, it is unbelievable. Like it really is to me, especially considering he isn't, He's groundbound, man, and he's putting up these numbers to me. It really is borderline unbelievable. Is there anybody in the nation averaging anybody else averaging twenty and ten? Uh, I think uh, Daniel Oturu is close. Oh, really? Even after um, last night. Uh, I think he is close. Uh, but I will go ahead and yeah, he's at nineteen point seven and eleven point six. Okay, what? Uh, that's the only name that comes out right ahead. I know Marcus Howard watched him a little bit on Friday. He is putting up crazy numbers for Marquette, but he's a guard and, um, he's really kind of dishing a lot more assists than I expected a little Trey Youngie. Um, but yeah, Luca Garza is in a class of his own, in my opinion. Yeah. I think in the post game thread, uh, um, from the Rutgers game, somebody had asked, uh, who 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 stacked up with Garza, and I think unanimously Garza is already going down as the best center um, in Iowa history. I can't remember the names. AC Earl were thrown out, and yeah, um, Low House, I think. But yes. after that, um, I don't think there's really any competition. And I think people made the better arguments for Garza being already the goat, which is wild to say with. At least, like at least half the season left to play, and possibly one and a half. Yeah, I, I think the thing that when you look at um, Roy Marble's numbers that he put up, everyone kind of assumed that that I think it's like twenty one thirty seven, something like that, twenty one hundred. Um, that that's almost an impossible number to get now, mainly because if you're good enough to score twenty two hundred points in a college career that you are probably not going to be in college for all four years. And I think from what I've seen, uh, I saw a 2021 draft board next. So that's next year. And Luca Garza wasn't touching that at all. I think if you look at a lot of the 2020s, you're not going to see him. Uh, And he just kind of seems like the quintessential four-year college player. So I think there's really a case that he could if he maintains this pace and if he averages, I think it's 19 points next year with the minimum amount of games, barring injury, like 31 uh, points a game, he will 
break uh, Marvel's record, which to me always felt like kind of one of those unbelievable things. And to me, that would cement him amongst the very close to the top of all-time great Iowa players. And really the thing about Earl that people kind of go back to when you talk about centers is his block numbers. I think he was averaging four a game in his best season. Garza, surprisingly, is a very good defender. He's averaging 1.7 blocks right now, 0.8 steals, and those are well above uh, his numbers from uh, previous seasons. So to me, he's doing it at both ends of the floor. He's staying on the floor. And um, by the time this post, he'll have gone against Nate Reavers. I feel confident in saying that Nate Reavers is going to have a hard time stopping Luca Garza. Um, I think, you know, the crazy, craziest thing, too, is, uh, I mean, he, you know, we're watching him develop, you know, sort of an outside shot, too, I think. People are getting in his ear. I, and uh, what do you have? Didn't he have two threes against Rutgers? Yes. Yeah, he had two threes. And how many blocks? Didn't he have three blocks? Like, he had three good, I think, in the paint uh stuffs maybe maybe just one or two but no, he, he had uh let me go ahead and get this because i remember it being a lot four blocks against crazy Rutgers. yeah so we're watching him do it all um really beginning of the year i remember i think it was against you know penn state he was absolutely gassed couldn't even make any free throws but uh he closed down down the stretch he didn't get too tired against rutgers and um watching him develop sort of an out, outside shot. You said, I, I can't remember what you said when you were describing his game against Rutgers. I thought you said all on the ground, but he had six points, you know, from range uh, to go around. He's becoming a bigger threat. Rutgers was doubling him the entire night, and we were able to see um, it really opened up the game for Joe Toussaint had, I think, unquestionably his best game as a Hawkeye. And then Lee's camp uh, and Frederick and, Kre- and Kreiner, too, had probably had one of his better games. And we're watching <laughs> a college offense be revolved around a, a center, which is hilarious. If you would have, you know, with the team with Bohannon and Wieskamp coming in this year, if you would have said that, you know, the offense would run through the center with Luca, I don't know how, um, how I'd feel about that. Yeah. I, I think maybe that's the, the question, right? If we go back and we say, Hey, knowing what we know now, we asked ourselves six months ago, who do you think averages 20 points um, on this team, uh, I think I would have pointed to Joe Wieskamp as the guy. I would have who, said Wieskamp. I don't think I could have seen Joe Bohannon average twenty. Yeah, and, and I think that the Bohannon discussion is interesting if we really project out. But uh, Wieskamp was the one I think everyone had kind of set up to make a huge step, a leap. I guess is probably the better way to frame it. And really, it's. It's all Luca. Like it is amazing. Like he's doubled his rebounds over last year, uh, maintained his turnovers, which considering he's touching the ball so much more, averaging seven more minutes a game, over thirty a game. Which that to me is just always the number. If a center is able to play consistently thirty minutes a game, you spoke to it a little earlier, Ben, about him getting gassed at times and missing some free throws, but the relentless nature that he's able to play with for 34, 35, 36 minutes, it 
it in some way makes his shortcomings, which this year has been the free throws at times, a little more bearable. Just because he's providing so much in the time he's playing and doing it really without uh, a safety net. I mean, there's Ryan Creener, but uh, that's kind of it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely that, that's definitely kind of it. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, oh no, I was just gonna transition because I, I think the the other thing that's really surprising me is just the backcourt. Uh, I I had always been high on CJ Frederick, but even he is performing much better than I expected. And to your point, Joe Tucson, if he can be um, kind of that lead guard, uh, it's going to be um, pretty fun. I, I'm gonna get overreaction Monday. Uh, compare get yeah, I'm noodling on overreaction Monday, so it'll have posted by this time. But to me. The closing five of Garza, Wieskamp, Frederick, Creener, or Connor, and Joe Toussaint, I think is as solid a five as Fran McCaffrey, McCaffrey has had in his time at Iowa. I, I, yeah, I'd have to agree, and it's, it's just so sad uh, that we don't have Nunji and Bohannon and even, you know, maybe Pat McCaffrey available. Um you just have to feel bad for those guys because this team, what we lack, obviously, is depth um, just about everywhere. And I've never – and we saw when we didn't have Frederick for those few games after the Penn State game how he's been such a catalyst. Like you said, nobody really expected him to play this well. Um, makes you wonder – I mean, you look at the deep lineups from last year, but it makes you wonder why he was on the bench last year. Um but maybe he really did take such a big leap. And, uh, you know, I really, it's really fun to watch this team. And if I didn't think, if we can get more, I mean, if Joe Tucson can be, if we can see that from him every night or just every other night even, um, you know, he, I was really, really nervous about his development or just how raw he was through uh, every game up until really the Rutgers game. Um and if he can just, you know, learn on the seat of his pants, then uh, he'll be a point guard that I haven't really seen um, at Iowa ever. He just has that toolbox, and it's just really exciting to watch. Yeah, uh, the thing about Tucson is that speed. Uh, I don't think he, in a way, and maybe it's just taking uh, Amir Smith-Marset, just that, I guess, uh, regional comparison, um, both kind of undersized. Like I think Tucson's pretty well built for uh five eleven, six foot, whatever they list him at. Um, I don't think he's listed that high even. Uh, six feet. Yes, he six feet. He's definitely not six feet. Oh my um, god, that's generous. Yeah. Uh, but I they provide such an X factor. Um, that to your point. You, you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I, I can't think of um, any point guard I always had that has had his skill set. And I think back to the ones I do remember, like the Dean Olivers, um, Jeff Horner, even Jordan Bohan in a little bit. Um, they were always heady players. They could get into the lane, 
and obviously the assist numbers that they were able to accumulate were pretty significant, but they were very much perimeter oriented players. Um, Jeff Horner before Bohannon had the three point record. Dean Oliver was certainly up there. I remember him being a big shot guy. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, I guess, what is that legacy bias or just nostalgia? I, I remember loving Dean Oliver way back in the day. Um, but Toussaint, that speed, I think it is unlike anything I've seen in my almost 30 years of being a Hawkeye fan. Uh, and yeah, I guess I don't really remember Woolridge. Um, he had those assist numbers, but I, to see him just barreling down into the lane, the acrobatics that he's able to finish with, it is so much fun. Shots were dropping for him against Rutgers that weren't dropping for him all year. Um, I was just always so concerned about his touch at the rim. Like, nothing ever seemed to go in, and everything was going in on Wednesday. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's the the fear going forward is that, oh, all the shots that weren't going in finally went in. Does it is it just the, the math that played out in his favor that night? Um and that's probably part of it, but I also think that he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think uh, the quote he had about Luca Garza building him up, if you're a Hawkeye fan, that yeah, yeah. is what you want from your alpha dog, is to build up a guy who maybe doesn't need to be built up, but needs to be told that he's capable of what he showed at Rutger, or against Rutgers. I think that everything's kind of clicking for this team in a way that maybe the February fade happens. I hate to say it. Every, I think there's a little bit of myth to that. And I, I hope to dive into that a little uh, later uh, in a week or two, but ultimately I, it's hard not to just fall in love with this team. Yeah. Hard to agree. It's definitely been the most likable team. Um that I can remember watching maybe 2015 when they went were ranked all the way to number three, right? Um, yeah, uh, I was thinking about that a little bit. I would say maybe the most truly likable team that Iowa had was maybe 2012 with Gaitens. Um, when they went on that rush with Eric May, too. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, I think 2014... That, that to me was supposed to be Fran's year and there was a lot of things that happened that uh, I don't think people remember the result. They remember the flame out in February. They remember losing in overtime, only scoring, I think it was a point against Tennessee. Um, even if they win that game, they yeah, are set up. Game. They're set up for a sweet 16 run. Yeah, the path was so easy that year. And I think that that stagnated the program in a way. Uh, I think Marble brought it back to respectability. I think the the four stars that they brought in between uh, Gazelle, Woodbury, Utah, they maintained that, uh, weren't able to elevate it, um, which I think everyone was hoping for. Certainly I was. Um, but... Yeah, I think that 2012 team is maybe the only one that uh, rivals it in terms of pure likability. Um, but yeah, 
I, I don't know. I, it's just the way they play. It's just so much fun to watch. Truly is. It truly, truly is. Well, I, I guess we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here uh, before talking about the football offseason. Did you watch any of that Kirk video? I did watch a little bit of it. Okay, I'll have... Matt will probably need to get rid of this amount of time. Oh, it's, it's good, healthy audio. Good, healthy audio? All yeah. right. So, as you guys heard, a little banter. Uh, ben. <laughs> Peek behind the you, curtain. <laughs> behind the curtain. Uh, you posted something earlier today uh, <clears throat> about uh, Kirk's speech, um, a eulogy uh, yeah. down in uh, Frisco on Hayden Fry. Uh, you want to give a little... Uh, editorialization about what what you thought? Uh, it was just, you know, a really, really nice homily uh, for uh, Kirk. It was full of a lot of great anecdotes that, you know, if somebody who's been reading all of Kirk's pressers for the past 10 years or so, um, you've heard a lot of them before, and you, you kind of see where he picks up uh, his, his isms and idioms. Um, you Kirk was, you know, using anecdotes um, from Fry and everything uh, throughout uh, throughout the engagement. I'm, I'm not sure who else spoke, or I think members from each college um, Fry was at spoke. So SMU, what is now North Texas, um, and Iowa. And um, I only got the chance. I didn't see anybody else besides Kirk's, but it was just a really, really nice um, eulogy and you know my favorite part of it um, was uh, he I'll pull out the quote right here it's in the talking about the pink locker room is Bo Schembechler Bo wanted to put the paper on the wall so the players wouldn't see the pink locker room so he said Bo was worried about the pink locker room and we still got him we beat him 26 nothing it was the worst loss Schembechler ever experienced in 2016 we play them again one of Shem, one of coach Schembechler's disciples is the coach they paper the walls again and we beat their ass one more time um, just great you know throwing shade at Harbaugh there and just a really great anecdote i sort of i sort of knew i remember and that made me think of it that i i remember i think tweeting from the BHG account, BHGP account, when Michigan had papered over the walls, and I said I was going to win. Now I think I laid a bet on myself after I saw that they did that. I was like, I was, I was going to win now since they acknowledged this frivolous little thing. Um, they weren't thinking about the game, and lo and behold, we got them. And it actually inspired me to watch this morning um, from my bed. I watched. I found the 2015 uh, or 2016 Michigan Iowa game, and I watched the whole thing on YouTube this morning. Uh, so that was a nice little treat, and I'd have, I've never done that with a game before, I think. Um, maybe Ohio State uh, in 2017, but it was it was really nice, and um, a nice little, I'm happy for Kirk, he was able to give that speech, and you know, with the that team ending, season ending on a high note, um, after the Holiday Bowl win and everything, he's got to be in a pretty happy place, right? Or, I mean, you know, obviously not happy, um, he's still mourning over Fry, but um, he see he was all smiles. Um, it seems like there it was a nice memorial. Yeah, I think the because I did watch, I was able to watch the first portion of it uh, last night, and 
the thing that is always interesting, especially in kind of these situations where it truly is like a celebration of life, his legacy has been built and um, it's, it's more or less set in stone when, when someone passes. And I think it's interesting that, you know, we've, we saw, and we only are acclimated with 20% of what Hayden Fry brought to this world. Um, him as an Iowa football coach. And I, I thought the way that Kirk opened it was really just interesting in how he more or less had to kind of level set what Iowa football was because, you know, it's kind of a way of life for you and me, but for um, many of the attendees, it wasn't necessarily. So um, I, I think that that kind of context makes it more uh i guess it just kind of provides a a level setting that i i had not really thought of before i know he had all these larger um things that he did he integrated the southwest conference all sorts of things um but to see kirk kind of have to sell iowa football in a way was um interesting at least as an open and yeah, uh, I love how he gives so much shade to Jim Harbaugh in that little quote, um, not only by just not referencing him or referencing him not by name, uh, but also... Love uh, it, love it, love the, it. The dropping of the ass. I mean, man, that, <laughs> that, that it feels like Kirk might have harnessed uh, Hayden Fry a little bit in the... Uh, flourish of that anecdote certainly 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 um but like as we talk about kind of the the larger off season um worst is gone uh epinesa gone stone gone torn young gone um i still feel like you know oh yeah mansell (laughs) gone um i still feel in as good a place as I've been for an Iowa Hawkeye football offseason as I've ever been, Ben. Um, Maybe I've just kind of turned a corner in my fandom, but 10 wins, beating USC's ass, you know, we got a lot of guys coming back that are totally likable, totally capable, and it's just about, you know, is a quarterback going to be good? I really like him. I kind of think he's going to be good. Uh, can they replace Wirfs? That question might be answered by going to get Koi Kronk. Um, can they build the secondary and the defensive line? And and Ben, I mean, I, I think this is almost the uh, uh, tagline of our podcast is in Phil we trust. So I, I have no reason to believe that the defense won't still be really good. Will it be elite like it was last year? Maybe not, but um, I don't know. Am I entirely too optimistic for where we stand right now? Um, I don't think you are. I think I agree with a lot of your sentiments. I feel like I say every football se- off season that I haven't been this excited for a season since so-and-so. <laughs> um. I it does feel a little bit weird that we're having 
um, so many impact players leave, and I still feel so good going into this year. Oddly enough, I think I'm most disappointed with Geno Stone uh, departing. He was like my favorite player, and I think he would do a lot uh, for a defense this year. Um, but, you know, he's going to go make some money, which is fine. Uh, I mean, yeah, I feel you have to feel really good about this defensive line. I don't think we have to rebuild as really, you know, obviously you can't replace Epinesa. Um, but I think Davion Nixon is going to be really, really good uh, in the middle. I'm really excited to see him get – he played a, a lot still, but now get even more more snaps in um, this season. And then you still have Gol- Golston coming in and um, Van Valkenburg and Evans and a lot of guys who contributed on the line. <clears throat> I might be you know, a little more nervous about linebacker. We don't have a, a guy in the middle Yeah, short up. Um, looks like it could be you know either – Doyle's son or Neiman might move to the middle, um, is what people are saying. I think you're, you believe in that? Yeah, I saw, uh, was it Docterman on The Athletic? He's who he had kind of penciled in the middle. Um, to me, it's, it's always going to be with Phil, who are the 11 best guys on the defense and getting them on the field as much as possible. And I think that last year with the emergence of Belton, I think it's going to hinge on what does, uh, what does Phil think of Belton? Is he that cash guy going to be the linebacker slash safety slash cornerback, or is he more of a true safety and this was a way to get his feet wet. My gut is that if a freshman's playing cash, he's going to be the cash as long as he's at Iowa and that it'll be easier for Phil to find maybe a Riley Moss, maybe um, Kayvon Merriweather is able to come through. Maybe it's someone out of nowhere like Sebastian Castro is able to, to be uh, that strong safety. Um, so ultimately, like I think it's going to come down to is Dane Belton a three down player at the cash position? And if he is, then it probably means that Neiman is and Colbert are the two other linebackers, quote unquote, including Belton in that mix. Um, And and I think that that's going to make a play Um, from a, a, like you look at the opponent's perspective. um, Really it's, it kind of lends itself maybe to more more 4-3 uh, with Michigan State, I guess, Ohio State and Penn State. So, yeah, probably want that, that cash position short up. But I think it's Belton and then Neiman in the middle for sure. And Neiman probably, you know, uh, outside of Welch, he's the best linebacker returning. Or, sorry, I mean, he was, um, he's a, definitely the best linebacker returning, I think, this year. Even Colbert got benched a little bit um, mm-hmm. last year. I still really like Colbert, though, um, as a player. So I feel good about that. And then the secondary, you know, Kerner might be even a little underrated after having a tough start to the season. Uh, you have to feel good about Kayvon Merriweather or anybody else who's going to be starting opposite him. And then you have uh, guys with a bunch of starts under them, like Moss and Brents and Hankins um, and DJ Johnson coming in um, to take all the secondary spots. So um, I think it's as strong of a secondary uh, as we can remember seeing maybe in a while. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the only one that might have been better is if we look to 2016. Everyone hated Greg Maben. That's fine. But it's only because he was only cornerback getting balls thrown at him that year. Uh, I think it was it, – so it was King, it was Maben, and then uh, who would have been the two safeties? But, I mean, they were – a solid bunch. Uh, I can go ahead and pull that up now. Well, I was watching, so it was, it was like Anthony Gare, and wasn't it Miles Taylor? Oh, yes, you're right. You're right. It was Taylor. Taylor was the weak link there. Yeah. Um, I was So I was watching this 2016 Iowa-Michigan game, and that Iowa team wasn't good. Um, and that team, that game, like, wasn't really good. Wilden Spate had four chances to put that game away. And just overthrew guys. Um, I think he threw overthrew Darbo three times. Um, that would have been a touchdown or a, a huge gain. And I just wish, God, if CJ Beathard could play with this receiving core right now. Um, oh boy! So that means Greg Kittle didn't play in there. Um, Jesus, Greg Kittle, that got me fucking going. George Kittle, <laughs> God, that is in my head now. Um, stupid kids with their memes. Uh, George Kittle wasn't he couldn't play he didn't play that game. So that receiving core is Germanic Smith and McCarron. Um, <laughs> see, at CJ had under ninety yards passing. I'm pretty I think in that game. Uh, oh yeah, no, he played the receivers. He did. Yeah, Wadley I think um, buoyed that big time. God can't remember a performance. He was legendary uh, that game. But that team wasn't very good, and it was like watching almost two different teams. Um, this Iowa team was so much, was so much better this past year. It's like almost two different sports. Um, so that tells you that Michigan team wasn't that great either. If that Iowa team was able to beat them, but uh, just being able to watch, see the place Iowa football is in right now. Uh, you have to be happy with it. You, you just, you really do. And if you're not, go look back at, at any game from 2016. And I know it's four years ago now at this point, um, so it's all new guys, and that's how it should be. But you, that's on the recruiting and everything, and the culture, the coaching is and instilling. And um, you just have to be happy with the way the arrow is pointing. Yeah, I think there's going to be some discussion about the. Um, the schedule there always is, but I I I just feel so comfortable with this talent base. I just really do, and, and I know there are always going to be question marks. It's Iowa football; they're not reloading, but it feels maybe I'm just in a way too positive of a headspace. But it just feels like that is they're they're just they're at a point where they're not reloading, but they're not dropping off. Is that the same thing? But it doesn't feel like there's a steep decline with the people behind the guys that are currently, or that we're losing. Uh, Worfs and Epinesa may be uh, excluded from that. Uh, the guys behind the guys, yeah. Um, yeah. Also, Coy Cronk, I mean, we got to believe that he's going to be an all Big Ten tackle with a name like Coy Cronk. Um, mm-hmm. simply, so I'm not worried about it. And then AJ, you, you just have to bite the bullet on that one because you're, you're never going to have a player like him again. Um, so you just make do with it what you can. I hope the guys learn a lot under him, like his superhuman strength maybe would be a nice trait. Um, 
but really, you just have to be happy and like you know, Torn on his departure. I mean, I liked him, but like it really doesn't change anything for me on this offense. Like, no. take take him or leave him. Um, uh, and I, if anything, it makes it a little bit better now. We only it, it shores up uh, the backfield. You know, now it's gonna be uh, Ivory Kelly Martin and Goodson and whoever else emerges as a third spot then, um, which is fine. So, uh, you know, bring me on to 2020. You can talk about all you want on the schedule. You can't make the schedule low. And um, if they win it all, then they're a great team. If they, you know, can get through it. And that's what I think they have the potential to be. Yeah. Uh, going back to this 2016, I, in comparing 20. 20 to 2016 and maybe this is just not necessarily how far i was gone but here's what happened in 2016 iowa was outrushed by 200 yards against north dakota state i that mean sucks so much they still should have won that freaking game but to me it's it's indicative to the larger point that Iowa football is trending up. The question will always be, can Kirk Ferentz figure out in game? Probably not. But if there are the right players in game, I think we all love Nate Stanley as for what he provided to Hawkeye football, but there, there were deficiencies. The, the one true, uh, fourth quarter comeback that he had was in his second game as a starter. Maybe this is unfair to him, but Mm. if, if Petrus can, you know, turn the needle on that, if he can be a gamer in every fourth quarter, be kind of that CJB swagger, um, maybe Iowa can, still have 10 wins this time next year or more. Uh, but uh, I think betting on that would seem like a silly endeavor. Uh, I didn't get any uh, emails about what like an early line on Iowa football is, but I bet you it's going to be exactly what it is every year, Ben, 7.5. Do you, you don't think they'll get the 8.5 treatment? I don't. Like, I, I, I think that... Is the schedule too The tough? schedule... I think the schedule, I think it's been too God, long no, since Iowa's football schedule 20. Yeah, I keep talking. Uh, just Wisconsin. I mean, that's at home, so maybe there's a turn of the needle there. Um, and then Ohio State and Penn State, That's that gets you at nine. Yeah. And then the thing that always concerns me, Ben, like uh, just having these streaks that they do uh, against, I mean, what is it now? It's five years beating... Iowa State being Minnesota, beating Illinois. Don't um, say it. Beating Nebraska. That's it. I, that's, that's always what's going to be what's going to Illinois. flip it. We're going to lose every game. We're going to lose every game. No, I, I don't. Like I, I certainly don't think that it's going to be that Illinois. dire. Have we ever lost to Illinois? Oh, it's been a while, Ben. It's been a long while. I do not want to look it up because I'm looking it up. I, th- I think we're about to speak a, a loss into existence. But 
Oh, don't make me. Wow, we do not have the head-to-head against them. Oh, yeah, Illinois. I mean, it's it goes back to the 70s and 60s. Am I reading this right? This can't be right. Uh, oh, no. 2007. Yeah, Iowa got zooked. No, yep. it was 2008. It was definitely 2008 that Iowa lost to him. I remember this incredibly no. vividly. Oh, no, it was Michigan State. That was the Sean Green game where they were at fourth and one to extend the game for a chance to win. <laughs> they ran a Sean Green dive that everyone could see coming against like an 11-person box. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we, have, we have literally never lost to Illinois since I've been an Iowa football fan. Hey, I like that streak, Ben. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that streak. Well, uh, I think that that kind of does it on my end. Do you have any uh, thoughts as we uh, turn the page almost into February? Um, hmm. I don't. I don't think so. Um. No. No? Nothing crazy happened in the last month and a half for um, you? Let me think. Saw a lot of movies. Oh, what's what's been your favorite movie that you've seen? Uh, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood after. I'm just, yeah. I just watched it for the second time after um, minutes ago before sitting down with you here. That's good. Um, I, at first it was... I mean, that was always my favorite movie. Then I saw Parasite, and that was my new favorite movie. And now... Once Upon a Time is back. I was gonna, I was supposed to see 1917 today, um, but I just couldn't get, be bothered to leave my house. Uh, so yeah. I've seen just about everything else, I think. Um, and I think it's honestly a big drop-off after um, Once Upon a Time and Parasite. Knives Out was okay. I really like, I like Don't Cut Gems better than anything else, probably, actually. Um I'm Joker, I don't think deserved all the love it got. Yeah, yeah, uh, I can agree with most of that. I we went to uh, England and Scotland. Uh, a couple oh yeah, weeks ago. top of the morning. Yeah, top of the morning, top of the morning. Saw plenty of Highland coups. Those were those were uh, little rascals. Um, but I don't, I don't know what those are. What are those? Are those little oh, sheep's? No, they're they're the hairy cows, the oh. long-haired cows. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so saw a lot of. Wait, good they call cows coos. That's how they pronounce it, man. Oh my and, god, I didn't know that. And they actually spell it C L O. It is tremendous. I was so here for it. Um, oh my goodness. Hey, you, accents, do they, man. Do they eat these? Yeah, yeah, like Highland beef. And. Oh, it's good. It's good. I mean, it's any different. I think that pretty much all meat and dairy products are better in Europe. Okay. I, and I, I don't know what it is. I just think that maybe it's because we're over there. Not that often. We're not having the bad ones, but even like if you go to a McDonald's to me, the beef is of higher quality. It has to be high quality over there. The regulation, yeah, yeah, you know, I do buy that. I can't remember ever like going to like a steakhouse and when traveling abroad. Um, so I yeah, can't we didn't do that really. Yeah, we didn't have really any hout cuisine. Um, but just like the the standard pub food, I think the the baseline quality of it's higher. 
um, you know, I guess taste permitting, but I, I guess my larger story was, um, <laughs> I saw Parasite on the plane on the way back. It was, it blew my mind. I wouldn't want to but, be on a plane for that movie. Oh, well, <laughs> I was catching up on some, uh, real old movies. And by real old, I mean like 2018 Oscar winner, uh, Moonlight. That was good not movie. an appropriate movie to watch on an airplane, okay. but it was very good. Yeah. Um, just because it had a couple scenes that were uh, a little explicit. But um, it just blew my mind. Parasite, to me, was the best movie I've seen in a long time. Um, saw The Irishman. Saw Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time was the movie that I had kind of been thinking about. Um, in, like, oh, that'll be tough to top. Uh, but really haven't seen a lot of the other ones. Haven't seen Uncut Gems yet. Haven't seen Knives Out. I those are the two movies I wanted to see that we never got around to see in our uh, rinky-dink theaters here. Um, what else? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. What's a, I, what's a movie? Hmm? What's a movie ticket cost in Bentonville? About the same. Like I get. Well, I guess about the same. Relative. It's like yeah. it, eight to twelve bucks. It, worse for okay. you, I assume. Uh, I mean, on like a Friday or Saturday night, yeah, you're paying almost twenty dollars. Like, I think I paid seventeen fifty to see Uncut Gems. But if I were to see like uh, nineteen eleven today, um, at like noon, it would have been I think nine dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we we try and hit the matinees, so it's a little less, than, <laughs> and it's closer to eight if we do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it was. It was Parasite, and then Once Upon a Time, and then a lot of other stuff. The Irishman. How many ta- how many uh, sit throughs did it take you to get through that, or I, have you watched it? I yet? did it. I did it in one. I I super super didn't care for it. Like I didn't hate it. I think it was bad, but a lot of lot of reasons. Time only being one of them, I just was not impressed with it at all. I guess maybe closing with. The, the podcast on this point since we've rambled a little bit about movies i think the the funniest thing about um the irishman was <laughs> just the idea that you had to these old guys have to play young guys and they can't like curb stomp a guy like a 20 year old would curb stomp a guy like like to me that was just hilarious and like i, I there were stories i guess of like uh, Scorsese having to tell him, get up like a twenty, like a thirty-year-old would get out of a chair, and they just can't because they're all like eighty years old. <laughs> that was the most. That my biggest problem with the movie was, I think without question, the most exciting actor on screen was was Bobby Cannavale, and he was on screen for like eight minutes. Oh yeah. Um, like it's so frustrating that Scorsese was just like carrying water for his for his guys, like. Don't don't you want to try working with some new people as as a artist? Um, I can't remember who um, who played the other guy who played a lot more um, opposite the the guy who would never respect the meeting was with, with Al Pacino. Um, he was Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. I can't think of his name right now as an actor. Um, and he was you know younger too. I don't understand why you just this a- aging technology like get 
actors are paid to act for a reason. Get some, get somebody younger to play young Clooney. Like that's been done before in movies. You can do that. It's allowed. Um, I just don't get it. I don't. And you know, it could have been three hours long. It didn't have to be three and a half. Could have been two and a half hours long, probably. Um, could have been a TV show, man. Um, <laughs> like honestly, if you listen to the po- if you listen to the watch, um. Andrew Greenwald, he's like saw. He said he watched the first half hour of Irishman. He's like, I saw the first episode of Irishman last night, um, and I don't know anybody who broke it up into more than one sitting. Um, I don't know anybody who saw it in a theater. I couldn't have seen it in a theater. Like I had to take three bathroom breaks when I saw it. Um, I don't know. Just uh, I I wouldn't put it down for anything. For me, it was good. I'm glad I watched it. I'm not rushing. I don't know when or if I'll see it again. I think the the thing that sticks with me above anything I've seen in any movie this year, though, I will say is Al Pacino's, when they have a knife, you run away, they have a gun, you charge. That thing's going to stick with me forever. Like, that I just line. love it. Yeah, it's just <laughs> so dumb. It's, I mean, it's not dumb, but it's like so, <laughs> it is so Al Pacino. Like, <laughs> It just, like, cracks me up, just the thought of it. Well, and, like, Al Pacino, I just watched, he's in Once Upon a Time, and, like, he looks totally normal. Like, in his role there, he looks good, he doesn't, he looks (laughs) healthy, he looks, like, totally normal, and then my big, my my second biggest problem with Irishman is how he looked. He was, he was geriatric, the whole god, he was a hunchback. The entire movie and in every era he played, like he was never ninety degrees upright. He was always at like a seventy degree angle. The whole and he's always had his arms hunched out like a dinosaur. Like he was a T Rex the whole fucking movie, like a vampire. He looks so bad. He's so heavily a combination of makeup and movie Hollywood magic. It, it was not a good look. He, he can't be happy with how he looked. Um if he should have, he was wearing, he was playing the, almost the same guy once upon a time as he was in The Irishman, same clothes, almost the same era. Like, should, just should have borrowed him from that. Uh, funny stuff. And, and I think maybe, maybe uh, just the other funny thing about it is how they took, to, to your larger, larger point, uh, they, they got two. Italian guys playing uh, a German guy and a Irishman, literally an Irishman. Right. Uh, right. So I don't know. I, I thought it was an interesting movie, but uh, more more for the being a part of the conversation about the what movie. What is he more making than next? Maybe. What is Scorsese making next? Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if he does the thing again with Netflix. Um, it looks... Oh, wait. What is that? Oh, no. Oh. Killers of the Flower Moon. Filming scheduled to begin in March 2020. <laughs> Good night. 